Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome to today's show. And unlike last week when I just spoke about uh, my experiences on my trip to uh, North Carolina and my unplanned digital detox, since I had no cell phone and everything, I have a guest today, and she is a returning guest that I promised you I was going to have her back because we didn't get to finish the conversation that I had with her when she was on a few months ago. Um, My returning guest is Dr. Lori Nadell. She is the author of The Five Gifts, Discovering Hope, Healing, and Strength When Disaster Strikes. And she's a specialist in acute stress, trauma, and anxiety issues. Um, Her first book, which is a four-time bestseller, Sixth Sense, Unlocking Your Ultimate Mind Power, was featured twice on Oprah. She's been a longtime journalist. She's reported for every top um, news outlet. But really what her passion and her love is, is helping people whose lives were shattered by violence or trauma of any kind. She has worked with as a member of a critical incident stress management team, working with the Parkland survivors, with 9-11. I mean, you name it, she's done it. And I had the honor of meeting her when she did a book signing and reading at the Vero Beach Book Center. So, um, Dr. Nadell, Lori, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much, and thank you for that great introduction. I appreciate it. You know, it's it, as I was prepping for today's show, I, I read back through parts of the book, and my book, I, I should take a picture of it for you, because it's even got more post-it notes and more highlights and more dog ears in it. It's every time I go through a chapter that I've read before, so many more things come out in it that are just so helpful. Well, I really appreciate that. I'm glad to hear that. I, I, I like to say, you know, when I wrote the, uh, when I finished the book, I thought about, you know, what, what was my kind of vision for the book. And I'd like to think that, you know, if you open the book at random um, on any given day, something will pop out at you that will be insightful or helpful or useful. Yeah, I just literally, as you said, when you randomly open it, so for the heck of it, I randomly opened and I came to page 192, and it's one of those five minutes a day things you have at the end of each chapter, right. and it says right. five minutes a day to patience, and ah, and I love my this. My favorite gift. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it says... talk about unbearable gifts. That's the most unbearable one for us. I love it. It says, life hurts now. I don't know about tomorrow. This too shall pass. I don't know when. I'm going to cry. But anyway, it's a great book. Thank you. So thank you. One of the reasons I wanted to have you back on was because during the first interview, we really talked about the five gifts themselves that why don't you just run off what the five gifts are? So the five gifts are humility, patience, empathy, forgiveness, and growth. And they're not quite what we think they are in relation to your book and how you put it. So I want to make sure we just briefly like talk about what those are. But there was a part of your book that we didn't get to touch on. I feel like we set it up 
for uh-huh. from the first interview where you had these five tools for emotional first aid and this other technique which goes so appropriately with the name of my show which I really think makes people pause and stop, which is questioning answers. And it it gives you what you call stress inoculation questions. (laughs) And every time I read that, I go, oh, so simple yet so hard. Yes, really. Um, So why don't we start with, um, all right, let's, let's dive in. I want to talk about one of the emotional first aid items in your book and then uh, and then let's talk about one of the gifts and it, it i kind of think it works with the fact that i just had a little bit of a breakdown as i was trying to read what was on the uh five minutes thing to patients as i started reading it i just started thinking about my mom so one of the ones is look up you have this emotional first aid technique of look up why can that help you in the middle of an anxiety, panic, stress situation? Did I lose you? Lori, are you there? Okay, so we are here with Dr. Lori Nadell, and we're having some technical, um, perhaps her cell phone dropped off or something. She is in New York today, not in the studio with me. But I am here talking with, uh, well, I am talking about Dr. Lori Nadell right now since she is not, um, and somehow she dropped off, and we're hoping she will call right back in. And I'm going to text her and see if she can call back in. Lost you. There we go. Her book is The Five Gifts, Discovering Hope, Healing, and Strength When Disaster Strikes, When Tragedy Strikes You or Someone You Love. And she was first a journalist and then a psychotherapist. And she's worked with people after some of the worst catastrophes, the 9-11 attacks, um, Hurricane Sandy, the Parkland shootings, She's interviewed people from all over, first responders and survivors of major events like the Thailand tsunami, the Rwandan genocide, the Boston Marathon bombing. She's been there not only as a journalist, but as a psychotherapist who helps people work through those situations. Um, I am... You know, it's really funny. I can't type text and and talk at the same time. (laughs) So I just texted Lori to ask her to call back in. Her book talks about five gifts that she discovered after Hurricane Sandy that really helped her deal with not only the immediate, but also the... um, the aftermath, because after the news cycles for a tragedy happen, they you just keep watching it over and over and over, and then all of a sudden it goes away, and people expect your trauma to go away after that has happened, and that doesn't always work that way. It like with my mom, I'm at the eight month mark, and going back through this book triggered a, a lot of things for me. I started having flashbacks again. So grief, trauma, has no life cycle, according to Dr. Nadell. 
And cool. we're going to be um, getting a signal from Mr. B. We'll be right back after this commercial break so we can get Lori back on. Okay, Lori, you are back. <laughs> Great. Thank you. It's so funny. Talk about, as you said, when I just talked to you on the phone, patience. Um, yeah, uh-huh. we just have to, we have to run with the situations as they occur. But resilience sometimes doesn't work. I mean, that, that what just happened could have shut somebody down if they lost communication with somebody right in the middle of, of a crisis. Right. Absolutely. So, so I did look up right after I dropped you going, okay, now what, uh-huh. now what do I do? Uh-huh. So, so let's talk about that emotional first aid technique of look up. What is it and how does it work? Why does well, it work? It, it, it's, it's actually very simple. You know, the brain processes information uh, primarily in three systems, uh, visual, auditory, and kinesthetic. Kinesthetic is what we feel in our body. Um, it can be like a knot in your stomach or uh, feeling your palms sweat when you're scared, for example, or um, getting uh, palpitations in your heart when you're, when you're anxious. And when we look up, we're shifting from a kinesthetic, like a body-based, um, body-based uh, processing mode into a visual processing mode. And that disconnects, um, if you will, the, the emotional software. So when we, we, we're looking up, the brain is shifting into a visual processing mode, and it's not uh, processing, it's not taking in information about the world and processing it through a, a, a kinesthetic or emotional sensation or feeling. So it, it's basically it's just changing the channel. And it can be used in any situation? In any situation, what it's really great for is when kids are crying or, you know, kid is upset or angry or anxious, and you tell the kid to just look up, uh, they'll stop crying. Really? It's really, it's fascinating, <laughs> yeah. It, it, uh, it's, like, it's like a little Jedi mind trick. Uh, it's, great. it's great for parents and grandparents to know about that. What about, say, somebody with dementia or Alzheimer's? Would that work on them as well? Um, I don't know. I really don't know. I haven't uh, worked with people with dementia or Alzheimer's, so uh, I can't say it's probably worth it's probably worth a shot. But um, I I can't honestly answer that because the brain at that point is uh, is structurally different. You know, it's just it processes information in a in a much more complicated way that we don't really understand. Because I know with my mom, she would look at clouds all the time. Yeah. And it seemed to calm her. So I, that's why I just wondered if that looking up, maybe she started doing it because in some unconscious way, she knew if she looked up, she felt better. Well, yes. And also, you know, looking at clouds um, is kind of hypnotic or meditative. You know, it's, very, it's, it's soothing. It's relaxing. You know, it kind of, it kind of takes you out of your whatever whatever rumination might be going on um, in your mind or whatever body-based sensations might be uh, uncomfortable. So I think it's probably a natural instinct to kind of look up and out and kind of watch the clouds, you know, watch the clouds moving. I think that, okay, so the first one is, is just look up. And it's as simple right. as whatever situation you're in, wherever your eyes are focused, just literally... Turn your eyes up, lift your head up, right. whatever it may be, but look up, whether it's a ceiling, the sky, anything. Right. Okay. Yes. 
and and uh, you know if you were in kind of an enclosed space like um, um, say like like in a bus for example or a train or a living room you can look up at where the wall meets the ceiling and that's a good focal point that will again it, it changes the channel okay so it shifts you into a visual processing mode so if you're in a train or something like that and you're yeah. looking up and it's kind of a blank kind of nothing really to look at find right. the where the wall meets because it gives you a visual okay got right. it it just gives you a focal point okay that will help you to look up or you can look up you know at your eyebrows um that's kind of more extreme and then that'll create a little bit of eye strain um and that's you know that's part of a technique uh, that can help you to go into a deep meditative state. So I'm not really recommending that you do anything that extreme. Just, just you know, just look up and look at a far point kind of on the horizon, like uh, the clouds or the top of a tree or where the wall meets the ceiling. And that's just enough to kind of shift out of the kinesthetic or body-based processing mode and to shift into um, that kind of uh, visual processing mode, which uh, it w- during which we don't feel emotions and we don't we don't feel sensations in our body. Okay. Which is, it just kind of disconnects that software. Okay, so then that leads to a bunch of other questions I have on your emotional first aid number two, which is extend both arms as far as they can go. So the first one does visual. It sounds like this one puts you back in your body almost. Well, you this one is, is, is interesting because um, you know, the, the mind is like an iceberg. I think it was Freud who said that. So the, the tip of the mind, which we normally think of as this is the self, this is me, is really like the tip of the iceberg that sticks up above the surface of the water. It's a very small percentage of who we are actually maybe 3 to 7% of who we are. And 93 to 97% of who we are is beneath the threshold of our attention or consciousness, which is why it's called the sub, meaning below conscious or unconscious uh, mind. So the unconscious mind, you know, there's a lot to do with how we calibrate experience, how we take in information uh, about the world through our five physical senses. And um, when we put our arms out, and we look straight ahead, and this is this is kind of interesting because I I actually used it uh, in the emergency room once, uh, where my my grandmother was in the emergency room and uh, somebody was brought in with a very bad uh, facial injury, and as I as I was starting to get you know like like nauseous and upset, I put my arms out to the side, and I looked at the like tips of my fingers at the at the far you know at the furthest extension that I could manage with my arms you know out to the side and um, and the, and I looked straight ahead at the same time and what that does is it engages your peripheral vision so that the unconscious mind automatically reorganizes what you're looking at so that instead of zooming in on the most uh, disturbing you know visual aspects for example blood uh, for example, or a gash in somebody's um, face or, you know, an injury of some kind, um, the the brain will reorganize it because your peripheral vision is taking in a whole field of data, including what's around the person, uh, what's underneath the person, other people who are in the scene. And what that does is it softens what you're looking at. It neutralizes it. So it's, it's really... Um, it's much it, it it again it it kind of changes the channel so you're much less um much less upset or not upset at all in fact 
because it just kind of rearranges how the brain is taking in all of that visual data. Okay, so I just did it while we were in the studio, and I just mm -hmm. put my arms out to my side as far as they can go, and I look forward, and um, I had to wiggle my fingers to sort of make my brain see them. Right. And then you just focus on that. Right, and you focus, and, and while you're while you're focusing on that, you're also looking straight ahead. Okay. So it used to be they don't do it anymore, but when I first got my uh, my driver's license, uh, you you would have to do that to show uh, to demonstrate that your peripheral vision was working. Oh. They would give you yeah, they would give you a peripheral vision test where you had to look ahead at something as if you were dry, you know as if you were on the road, and uh, then they would have you extend your your arms to your side so that you could begin to pick up you know the very points or edges of your fingers as you were, as you were looking ahead. I wonder and, how many people uh, lied during that test. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. They had some way. They'd ask you some questions. They had some way of determining whether your peripheral vision was actually kicking in. Gotcha. Um, and uh, so, so when you do that, it's actually it's kind of like you go from a zoom in. You know, when we're upset by something we're looking at, we tend to have like a like a like a close up view. It's like we're zooming in with a lens to something that's you know viscerally disturbing. But when we put out our peripheral vision, it reorganizes all those pieces of visual data, so that um, you know it, that whatever is upsetting to us is just one tiny piece of information. Gotcha. I don't remember that part of the New York driving test, but um, that would have been way, way back. When yeah, when I, I got my driving test, it was like the, I think it was 1964, so okay. that was a long time ago. <laughs> and I don't think of you as as being older than you are, so there you uh, go. <laughs> I think it's because I'm emotionally immature, but thank you. <laughs> I love talking to you, Lori. Okay, and uh, let's talk about number three, because this one kind of I had trouble with, right? You would think that uh-huh. I'd have trouble with number four, which is color breathing. But number three, I, I struggle with. Visualize a two-way mirror. How does so, that work? You know, when this works really well with kids who are upset and, and teenagers. Uh, when you visualize a two-way mirror, it's like you can look out. But people looking at you, they're only going to see the the, the reflection. They're they're going to see the mirror, but we, so they can't see that you're upset. And when when people feel, you know, when people are upset, as I said, especially teenagers are very very sensitive. Uh, they don't want people to see that they're upset. They don't want to appear vulnerable. And so when you when you visualize a two way mirror. And, you know, you're looking at somebody and you're agitated or you're anxious or you're, you're frightened or you're upset. Um, and, and you're, you're protecting yourself in a way by setting up this kind of two-way shield. It's, it's an imaginary shield. So when people are looking at you, their, their glance, if you will, is going to kind of bounce off the, uh, bounce off the reflected, the reflective side of the glass. So you will feel, um, less exposed. So that that's that's the purpose of that. It helps it helps to shield you when and, and if you're a parent and you don't want your kids to um, to see you as upset, uh, somehow putting up that two way mirror allows you to feel more composed because nobody you know nobody can look at you and see how upset you are. So okay. it, it, it's a shielding technique. So it's not like the emperor's new clothes where you're yeah. 
thinking, you know, you're wearing the finest clothes, but you're really naked to the world. Doing it well, actually puts a sh- help composes you. Right. It puts a shield around you. And there, there are different versions of this um, in martial arts and in different, um, you know, spiritual traditions. But um, that's a very, it's a very quick way to kind of shield yourself so that you, you feel, um, I'm here, I'm upset, I'm safe in my own skin, but nobody can really see how upset I am. So it makes, you know, especially when you're dealing, uh, when you're dealing with kids or if you are, you know, if you have a teenager, uh, that's a good way for them to feel less exposed, less vulnerable. I think I've done something like it without realizing it. Uh, I I actually am a big Star Trek fan. (laughs) So I've been in some situations, you are too, just like, I'm so excited with some of the new stuff that's about to be coming out, but they always say shields up right. when they're about to go into battle. And right after my mom died, I got asked to speak at a big cybersecurity conference. And I wasn't going to go, but I said, you know, at the fact that this came up the way it did, I think I'm meant to be there. And I knew it was going to be really emotional to do my signature speech, which has a slide of my mom and I. And I ended up breaking oh. down and crying on stage, oh. but it worked out perfectly. Oh. But I remember... At one point, I just said to myself, shields up. And I sort of surrounded myself with this shield that kind of grounded me and Mm -hmm. protection in a way so that I could get through it. Is it kind of similar where I just sort of protected myself from anything outside that may trigger me? Right. That's exactly exactly the same concept okay and and pretty much the same uh a very similar uh modality okay so for any of my listeners who i know there are a lot of you who are star trek fans um when you do the two-way mirror you can you can do like a shields up if that image right. works better right. for you all right and yeah. we have to go into the national news break right now but we will be right back with more from dr Lori nadell the author of the five gifts discovering hope healing and strength when disaster strikes Welcome back, everyone. If you're just joining us live on iHeartRadio, we are here with Dr. Lori Nadell, author of The Five Gifts, Discovering Hope, Healing, and Strength When Disaster Strikes. If you're on podcasts, this was instantaneous back from the national news. This is um, the second, actually part two with Dr. Lori Nadell. We did not get to finish everything I wanted to talk about with her book when she was on a month or so ago. So she is back, and we are talking about emotional first aid tools that you can use. We've talked about three so far. Look up, extend both arms as far as they can go, visualize a two-made mirror. And now, um, Lori, I'd like to talk about the last two, color breathing and focus on your feet. And I really appreciate that you're going through these with my listeners. They are in the book. And I'm telling you, everybody, my book is so marked up every single time I pick it up. Um, some other brilliance comes through that really helps me through whatever trauma I'm going through. And, um, and, and Lori, you know, before we talk about the, the fourth one, there's a quote in your book that it's really funny because I had a friend that I just talked to yesterday and she said, you know, I really just need to stop complaining or or just being distressed by this she said because my life is far better off than somebody else's and this really is not a trauma and I said to her you know 
what you're going through is what you're going through. It, it, it doesn't matter that it's not Syria or, you know, that you haven't lost your entire house. It's still affecting you. And in your book, you quoted uh, Dr. Viktor Frankl, the amazing man, Holocaust survivor, author of the classic Man's Search for Meaning. And he spoke out, he said, he spoke out against this bizarre type of shaming. He said, never compare suffering. Everyone has their own Auschwitz. Why? So true. You know, I, I believe that everybody's entitled to whatever they're going through, whatever trauma, but why do we do that? I mean, it's really hard for people to, to be like, it's okay that I'm going through this and I shouldn't let it go because it's not what people are going through in other parts of the world. No, it, it, it's funny. There's, there's a, it, it kind of brings up something else, which I think is, is related, uh, which I call gratitude guilt. And when people, um, you know, I have a, um, a colleague who got uh, uh, a flood in her house and her husband has uh, stage three pancreatic cancer. And uh, then she herself, you know, is a cancer survivor and um, the insurance wouldn't pay for the flood damage. And, you know, it was, it was you know, it was more That's than a, like a quarter of a million dollars. And she, was going through, and, and she had a friend who said, um, well, you should be grateful that you're not in Syria. <laughs> you know, and so she called me. She was very upset. And I, and I read that passage to her about Dr. Franklin, you know, that everyone has their own Auschwitz. Um, you're, you're entitled to go through whatever it is you're going through and feel whatever it is you're feeling. Um, you know, if five years from now you're stuck and, and this is all you can talk about, you know, that, that's a whole other issue. Uh, but we're not talking about that. We're, talk, we're talking about uh, getting blamed by other people because uh, you're not grateful or happy or cheerful or because you're not comparing yourself to um, another situation, a war, a war, for example, or, um, you know, people after Hurricane Sandy. I had uh, one person who was in my support group uh, one person who was in my support group who um, was uh, was told by somebody, well, I know people here in Newtown, Connecticut, who wish they had your problems uh, because, you know, that was where one of the school shooting shootings was in right. uh, December of uh, 2012, was just, just right after Hurricane Sandy. And uh, so people are, are who are hurting are made to feel guilty because they're hurting. And that exacerbates their suffering. And I, I don't understand it, but these uh, remarks that are really insensitive um, seem to be um, they, they seem to be ubiquitous. You know that they happen to people whether you're grieving, uh, whether you're, you're you're recovering from a major illness or a, uh, uh, an auto accident. Uh, whatever it is you're going through, it, it's it's not uncommon for somebody to make a callous remark that basically compares you to um, you know somebody else. It compares your 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 experience or your pain to uh, somebody else's who uh, on the surface seems to be worse, and and certainly it may be more extreme. But, you know, just because you're not a Holocaust survivor doesn't mean that your heart hasn't been ripped out. And it's going to take time to process that. And that really gets into the gift of empathy, 
because empathy, you know, we, we see a lot of uh, empathy and caring uh, right after a catastrophic event. Uh, people want to help. People want to volunteer. People want to send, you know, cook meals and send uh, gifts and, and send school supplies if there's been a school shooting. But then after two months, you know, the cameras move on. The story is no longer on the screen and uh, people's attention kind of wanders off. And then if they know somebody who was directly affected or indirectly affected by the particular event. Um, they check in a few months later, three months later, six months later, and the person is still traumatized. It's not uncommon for a well-meaning friend or colleague or family member to say, well, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you over it yet? You should be over it yet. I mean, it's not as if you're, it's not as if you're a prisoner of war in Vietnam. And, and suddenly you're being, you're being judged and you're being blamed and you're being shooted uh, for not feeling the way the other person thinks you should feel. And it's very unfair. I, I had somebody say that to me. The gift of empathy is so important. I had somebody say that to me the other day because I was emotional about my mom again. And, and and that must have been very painful for you. It was, and I began judging myself, saying, mm. "I should maybe I should be over this." Well, you know, you 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 can't. Um, I mean, you can, but it, it's it, it's really when we start shooting ourselves, and 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 there's a gift of patience because, especially with with deep grief and sorrow, that grief can, it can linger or it can seem to resolve, but then, you know, um, you know, even a few years later, we can suddenly be overwhelmed with uh, a sudden temporary upsurge of grief where we feel uh, as if it's recent, as if it's fresh, uh, as if, you know, it's, it's only a few days or a few months since that person died. And, uh, and, and we, we feel all of the, the, the fresh feelings of loss and sorrow. So, you know, grief is, it, it doesn't have a timetable. And, uh, and trauma doesn't have a timetable either. Although we, we say, you know, and, and research has, has shown that it can take three to five years to recover from a traumatic event. You know, you recover sufficiently so that it doesn't dominate every waking thought. But it doesn't mean that you, you ever completely, uh, it, that that you forget about the person or that you stop feeling the loss. You just, you, you integrate it or we say metabolize it differently and it becomes part of you. The loss becomes part of what you bring to the table. Um, it, it sensitizes you. Um, it, it may sensitize you to other people's grief. Yeah, it's it, definitely it, done that for me. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that, that's uh, very often, you know, people who've, who've experienced severe loss, you know, become grief counselors or people who have come through the pain of addiction and recovery become, uh, become addictions counselors. Um, you know, it, it does, you're know, going through something extremely, uh, or something traumatic in the sense of traumatic refers to, uh, you know, a sudden, uh, you know, a sudden unexpected loss of life or getting close to a loss of life. Like a near miss, in a in a near miss of an accident, will traumatize somebody. Uh, can traumatize somebody um, in the same way that having an accident can traumatize somebody. And then you know it, it's going to, it's healing is is very it's, it's a zigzag process. Sometimes it feels like we've regressed, or sometimes it feels like, uh, especially around anniversaries, it can be extremely complicated because as the anniversary approaches. 
especially if it's a if it's an event that's been in the news, then there is all this this hoopla in the news as the cameras come back and the reporters come back, and you know they try to kind of hype up as the first anniversary and you know do you have closure and you know people wake up the day after the first anniversary and you know what the person you love is still dead and you don't have closure that very often that's when the grieving begins because we're in shock for the first year so it's complicated you and multi-layered you mentioned closure do people do you ever really get closure or it just becomes you have a, a smidge more peace around it i i don't know if that's the right word but do you ever really get closure on a trauma or a, a loss you know, I I don't think that we get closure in the sense that you know we can we can put it away. Some people are better at compartmentalizing, and so and and um, and I think that you know if we look at first responders, for example, uh, they may they may go out on a call uh, where the, you know a child has died, and because most paramedics and you know fire people in for the first responder community are young parents themselves. You know, they'll find that you know inability to save somebody uh, particularly distressing or disturbing, uh, or something like Parkland, where the first responders had to go in and um, you know um, take care of the wounded and get them into ambulances and you know step over the dead bodies in the in the hallway, and you know and that was very triggering also because it was a classroom which is supposed to be, you know, safe. You have kids that go to school every day. You yourself went to school every day, and you never, you you don't associate, right. you know, a massacre with the classroom. So that was particularly, uh, a particularly grisly one to process. And and the term that we use uh, to process uh, something absolutely horrifying like that is metabolize. You know, the 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 psyche, the again, the unconscious mind digests it, and it digests it slowly. And eventually, it it just kind of you you it it becomes part of uh, who you are and how you see the world, and not necessarily in a negative way, but you become aware that um, you know that evil exists. You come, become aware that the force of nature is so powerful that it can destroy everything that you've built in twenty years can be wiped out in fifteen minutes, which is what I witnessed with Hurricane Sandy. And, and with that, I hate to do this, but we have to go into uh, our, our last commercial break. Okay. And we're going to pick that up when we come back. We're here with Dr. Lori right. Nadell. Okay, Lori, you were yeah. continue that conversation. <laughs> uh, um, we were asking about closure. And, I, you know, I don't think that, you know, it stops, you know, after, after a while, it can stop being uh, a kind of gaping raw wound that, um, you know, that, that just, you know, hurts all the time. It can hurt to, can hurt to be alive. It can hurt to breathe, and you know, kind of the wound begins to heal because we have a, a healing intelligence. So the brain, you know, will the unconscious will work on um, kind of softening the edges of the wound and and kind of um, you know putting some kind of protective covering over it so that we can we can function. And uh, and it, it doesn't it, it it's not going to hurt to breathe every single second, uh, but it it takes time, and it it's like scar tissue you know it'll always be there, and it anything that reminds us of that wound that it can hit us at a particular moment, um, it can be a ray of sunshine, it can be a bar of music, it could be a smell, it could be you know the way somebody uh, holds your hand or touches you can call it, can can trigger 
kind of an avalanche of uh, of reaction because all of our emotions are stored as molecules in a part of the brain called the limbic system. And the, that, that, that chain reaction of molecules can be reacted by any number of uh, triggers from the five physical senses. There is just so much I want to ask you. <laughs> oh. Oh. Uh, everybody, we're talking to Dr. Lori Nadell, author of The Five Gifts, Discovering Hope, Healing, and Strength When Disaster Strikes. And, and Lori, where's the best place that people can get this book? Well, the book is actually on sale at Amazon uh, right now for $6. Uh, this month is Post-Traumatic uh, Stress Disorder Awareness Month or PTSD Awareness Month. And so uh, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it at barnesandnoble.com. It is uh, stocked at Barnes & Noble stores and many independent bookstores. And you can also ask your local bookstore to order it. So it's on sale because it's the the month. That's great. I'm gonna. I know yeah. several people. I'm gonna buy copies for now. Oh, well, thank you. Thank copies. you very much. And I know that the Vero Beach Book Center has some copies still in stock from your book signing that are signed. So if somebody's great. here local, or they can even call the Vero Beach Book Center and they'll mail it out to you as well. Um, Beautiful. And you have a website related to the book as well. Yes, the website is thelorienadel.com. And uh, there's a drop-down menu. You can go to the Five Gifts page, or you can click on the Five Gifts, which is on the home page. Okay. But uh, we, we have some of the media links. There's actually a link to a two-minute interview that Dan Rather did with me. Uh, we did a joint book signing in Miami in April. And uh, so there's a two-minute video clip on the uh, Five Gifts page of my website, which is laurienadel.com. It's it's so great. I want to make sure we cover this one last thing. And everybody, I know I said we were going to cover the five tools for emotional first aid. Um, know that the last two are color breathing and focus on your feet. You're going to have to grab the book to, to get more details on that. I want to make sure we cover one last thing that you call stress inoculations. And you have this whole section in the book on questioning answers and stress inoculation questions. And we all know I'm all about the questions. Uh, and, and in this, you, you talk about being prepared, right? Writing lists about everything that could possibly happen, like for us here in Florida, hurricane, you know, prepare your hurricane right. list. If, if you're a parent, you have a kid in school, you may want to run through that horrible scenario of what something happens. But then you you do this instead of ask thing. Would you mind taking us through this rephrasing questions kind of scenario that can help people through these situations? Um, well, I think it's important, um, instead of making a list, um, as you talk about the power of questions, to make a list of questions which are um, open-ended questions, kind of more like the what-if questions or how questions instead of why questions. So, um, you know, um, what if we lost electricity for a month? Um, you know, how, how, how would we prepare? You know, what, what, would we, what would we need to have on hand? Well, obviously, you, you know, the first, the first thing you would want would be a generator, but not everybody can afford a generator. Not everybody, um, you know, has the... If I live in an apartment, I couldn't have a generator in an apartment. Um, and and also, I don't... I'm not self-contained, so it's not like I'm a house. When the power goes on for the entire complex, you know, that's when we get the power back. 
show, how else would be, like a question I would ask, how else could I deal with a power shortage after a hurricane or during a hurricane? Um, You know, what if um, I wasn't able to get to my friend's house um, in time for the storm? Uh, How else could I manage without power? So those two types of questions are really important. Um, You know, what if, uh, what if, you know, what if the roads aren't drivable? Uh, how much water would I need for three days, for five days, you know, for seven days? Um, you know, what if uh, what if my little camping stove doesn't work? Uh, what else could I do to make sure that uh, I have enough food, um, you know, on hand for five days or seven days? Or um, you could even project out, you know, as far as I know people um, in New York uh, who store food for six months. Um, in case there's some kind of catastrophic event where there's a power outage, uh, for example, if the grid goes down because of some hacking event, um, you don't know how long it'll take to get the power back. In New York, we lost power for a month after Hurricane Sandy, um, and big sections of Manhattan uh, were without power for almost a month. So, um, you know, what what do you need to have on hand? Where else can you go? What else could you do? Um, you know, how would you how would you cope? with those kinds of situations and and how far out do you want to prep for? You know, if after three days you know that you're going to have cabin fever and uh, you're just going to get in your car and, and drive someplace after a hurricane, um, you know, how far can you go on your tank of gas? Do you need to have extra, you know, can't, do, do you need extra gas? Should you have, you know, extra supplies of gasoline in your garage? Um, what else, you know, what else do I need to prepare for? Um, in terms of communication, very often we use we lose cell phone reception during and after a storm. So how else could you communicate with somebody? Well, there, there are walkie-talkies that you can get um, at Best Buy or Radio Shack that will operate, you know, up to maybe half a mile in range. And, uh, you know, you, could, you can start thinking about, you know, how else can I communicate with my son, with my daughter, with my mom um, if, you know, if the cell phones go down. So those are kind of stress inoculation questions, and stress inoculation is a term that the military uses to prepare for events that are, um, you know, there, there are there are variables that we have that we cannot control, and there are unexpected things that can happen, like God forbid, a tornado or a sinkhole that you really can't, you know, prepare for or you can't protect yourself from. But then there are seasonal events like blizzards and hurricanes, and we can use stress inoculation questions so that we have, you know, plan A, plan B, and plan C. And that's what those stress inoculation preps are for. I I love it. And I can't believe we're almost out of time. I want to, you know, this book, all my listeners, I don't care what point you're at, if you think you're dealing with a trauma or not. I think this book is something that everybody should read before, during, or after um, a situation because there's so many tools to help you. And as Dr. Nadell talks about, you know, it's not everybody's having a serious situation, a war zone, anything like that, but we all are dealing with our stuff. And I really feel that this book can help us all get through it just a little bit easier. Well, thank you. That was my goal in writing it, is to help take the edge off and to help people understand that, uh, you know, these five gifts, humility, patience, empathy, forgiveness, and growth, 
they don't cost anything, they don't weigh anything, and uh, I call them the unbearable gifts because we don't want them until we need them, but when they need, when we need them, they can make a world of difference. And and the book is so perfect. It it really is a just a toolkit. It's a toolbox for any emotional situation or physical situation you may be going through. And I, I highly recommend it. And you can get it anywhere books are sold. And apparently it is on sale right now. If you're listening to this live, you can get it uh, for a discount. But since we know that this show on, lives on in podcasts, it may not be on sale right when you go to listen to it. But either way, it's well worth the investment. Lori, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you, Laura. Thank you so much for having me as your guest, and I hope your listeners have found uh, something of merit in our conversation. Me as well, and I, I really do think they did, because I got so much out of it. So. Oh, thank <laughs> I, you. I, I shifted a couple of things in my own head, and that, oh. that really, you know, that awareness is a huge piece, isn't it? Shifting perspectives through conversation. Oh. Well, thank you so much. Everybody, remember, the right questions can change your life, so what are you asking today? And you know what? I'm just going to say this. Look up, everyone. Doesn't matter what you're doing. Look up and, <laughs> and see how that shifts things for you. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today. 